Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fail Mary podcast with me, Marcus Kenmere. Wow, what a week one. That's probably as as strange and as wild a week one as I've seen in a very, very long time. There is a lot to unpack, so we're going to have to dive straight on in to make sure we get all the stuff involved. I want to start with a little history lesson. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of history. I studied studied history at my university and I'm such a nerd of history to the point where I have a favourite story in history. Um, so let me tell you, you might have seen the film, but let me tell you about Xerxes and the Battle of Thermopylae. So Xerxes was this Persian king and he decided he wanted to invade Greece and he turned up in Greece with this huge army, all sorts of people from all corners of the world that he'd gathered together from his big empire and when he got there, he came to this very thin pass called the Hot Gates or Thermopylae, which is where it was in Greece. And when he got there, he found he found an army of 300 of these like elite Spartans, and then there were a few others there, if we're looking for complete historical accuracy. But it's essentially, it was called the Battle of the 300, because these, these elite Spartan defenders stood in the way for a day and a half, and just sort of, Xerxes sent an army forth. And he was like, right, well, we're just going to beat him up, aren't we? So he sent his army forth. And they got beaten back, so it went, hmm, let's try that again. And he sent his army in again, and they did exactly the same thing, and they got beaten back again. So he went, okay, we're going to do it again, but this time we're going to do it with our, our best soldiers. So he sent them forward in exactly the same way, and they got sent back again. And sort of at this point, people were going, hey, Xerxes, you know, maybe we should, I don't know, do something else. And he was like, silence, and killed a lot of his generals for disobeying him and disappointing him as just slightly strange leaders tend to do and then he he tried a few more times and finally went fine let's let's find a way around and they found a way around and that was how they defeated them but but by then it was too late because they were all knackered and the the greek reinforcements had arrived and ultimately they lost the war and greek semi-mythological battles aside there is a saying in history which is that um those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it and this weekend, watching these games, I saw an awful lot of Xerxeses out on the field. Let me explain. So the NFL today, for the, uh, for the average viewer, is about, is about offense. It's about high scoring. It's about points. It's about clever plays and huge throws and trick plays and stuff like that. And the coaches that come up with these clever offenses are often lauded for their, their great coaching strategy and intelligence and genius but one thing that has always been true about the NFL and remains true to this day is that the NFL defences in the league adapt to face offences. So a new offence will come in as a system. It'll have a success for as long as it can. And then eventually defences will adapt and find a way of stopping this new offence. And then the next new offence will come in and so on into infinity. So a lot of the build-up this weekend was about these new offences we're expecting to see coming out of the pre-season and the, uh, the off-season. But what actually happened was we saw a lot of coaches assume that the offence that worked for them last year was going to work for them again this year. Let me, let me give you some examples. Matt Nagy, very good offensively-minded coach, very good in terms of strategy and scheming people open. Matt Nagy, with the Chicago Bears, managed three points against Green Bay. Uh, let's look at another one. Freddie Kitchens. 
Freddie Kitchens, who last season had lots of success at the second half of the season with the Cleveland Browns, had a winning record with them, managed with this new Cleveland offense with all its shiny new toys, 13 points and three picks against Tennessee. All game, 13 points. That's it. How about Adam Gase? Adam Gase, record-setting offensive coordinator, Adam Gase. His team made more defensive points than it did offensive points. Uh, how about Kyle Shanahan? Kyle Shanahan, another great offensive mind, took the Falcons to the Super Bowl with his offensive scheme. Well, his, his San Francisco 49ers were 19th in rushing and 31st in passing this week. How about Cliff Kingsbury? New and exciting Cliff Pink Kingsbury joining the league with his new rookie quarterback and new system that he was hoping to bring in. Well, they had no touchdowns for the first three quarters of the game. Even the more well-known offensive coordinators. How about Sean McVay? They didn't put together a decent drive until the third quarter. The, do the one touchdown they did score in the first quarter was because Carolina gave the ball away in their own 25, so they didn't have that far to go. Doug Peterson, if you take out Deshaun Jackson's one play in the first half, they had a grand total of 72 yards in the whole first half. And that's with all those weapons and the great offensive line and Carson Wentz and the running back stable in the backfield. 72 yards they managed to get there. And what summed it up perfectly for me was... When I was watching the, the New England versus Pittsburgh game um, late on Sunday evening, it got to half time and Pittsburgh were 20 points to none down. And they said to Mike Tomlin, you know, Mike, Mike what, do you, what do you need to do better in order to have some more success in this game? They had 99 yards collectively at this point. And his response was, yeah, we, we need to execute better. Like, just what are you talking about? How... How can that be your reaction when you have had nothing all game and you think that the only problem is that the game plan you've put in place isn't being executed properly by your players? That is, I mean, it just defies, but even Bill Belichick said, oh, we, they like to move it around, so we're expecting them to come out in the second half and try some new things. No, nope. did exactly the same stuff. Belichick must have been on the sideline thinking, I mean, this is brilliant. They're not even trying to do anything differently. Everything they've done last year and in the previous years when they had AB and Le'Veon Bell, they're just doing that again. It's just, you can't in the NFL just do the same thing offensively over and over again and just expect it to work over and over again. That doesn't make sense. Defences are too good. Coordinators are too clever. They work it out. Especially if you're playing the Patriots who have one of the best defences in the NFL, apparently. But you can't just... It was the same with all of them. Carl Shanahan was running the same power zone run offense that he's run since he was at Atlanta. And Tampa Bay aren't aren't that good at defense, but they just completely shut them up for the first half at least. Freddie Kitchens was with a weak offensive line. We're still trying to run these these deep passing routes. No, Baker can't stand still for three seconds without getting destroyed. You need. Get a short route. Give him someone to throw to early so he doesn't have to get annihilated by this pass rush. It was really... Even the even the teams that got away with it, like the 49ers because they were playing the Bucks, like the Rams because Cam Newton's performance was terrible, even the Eagles, we saw from them, they were trying all this sort of short yardage underneath passing and then they had one play where they just ran a very simple Deshaun Jackson's faster than everyone so let's run him deep and let's let our very strong quarterback throw it very far for him and they did that and then they were like oh that worked let's keep doing that so 
they were lucky and they got bailed out by that. But just, you can't, as an offensive coordinator, think that the same thing is going to work over and over again. You have to find new ways of attacking a defence each season because teams spend hours looking at how you like to operate as a head coach and as an offensive coordinator, and they react accordingly. So there is a lot of work to be done for these great offensive minds. And I think actually it might have done a few of them a favour to lose this early on and in, and in this manner because now they can turn around and go, oh, my system did not work this week. We need to change something up. Or they're going to bury their head in the sand, do what Matt, Mike Tomlin said and blame the players and nothing's going to change. Uh, I think a few teams are actually already in difficult situations with their offences. I think Chicago especially have a problem this season because Trubisky trying to do the same stuff they were doing last year, that is, that's a very low-ceilinged offence. Now, uh, on the other side of the ball, let's look at, to to support my argument, let's look at the really impressive offensive displays that uh, I think we saw this week. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs put up 40 points on the Jaguars in their stout defence. Uh, Baltimore, I mean, that was unreal. Everyone said Lamar Jackson was a, a running back who could occasionally throw the ball. Well, they put up 59 on the Dolphins. The Vikings put up 28 at the Falcons. Doesn't sound particularly high, but the way they did it was impressive, and I'll explain in a minute. The Patriots, 33 on the Steelers, and Dallas, 35 on the Giants. Now, all of these teams have one thing in common with how they played offense this week. Because as we came into the season, we thought we knew how all of these teams were going to play offense we thought that Baltimore were going to be very, very run-heavy, run put everyone in front of the ball and just run it with Lamar. We thought that the Vikings were all about their receivers and they didn't have the running, the O-line and the running backs to make that work. We thought that Kansas City worked through Tyreek and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Uh, we thought that New England were going to be a power-running team and we thought that Dallas were going to be a power-running team as well. The one thing they have in common is they all did the exact opposite of what we thought they were going to do. So Kansas City, we thought it was all going to be about Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, and a, and a strong running game to support Patrick Mahomes. Well, it wasn't. Sammy Watkins, pretty much on his own, carried the team on his back for two touchdowns and 100-plus yards. Baltimore, we expected them to run the ball with Lamar and with everyone else. They were a passing team very early on. I mean, their first touchdown was just a very simple slant to Hollywood Brown, the Dolphins were all cheating up in the box, expecting this huge run game to work. The Vikings, even with a not particularly impressive O-line performance, they dominated that lunter up front and they only threw the ball 11 times, taking all the pressure away from Kirk Cousins and putting it on Dalvin Cook, who's an elite running back and proved that already this week, and the O-line to just get the run blocking, which is easier than pass blocking right. New England just, I mean, Pittsburgh were all ready for this power running team and it was just quick crossing routes, deep passing balls. Tom Brady looked 25 years old, not 42, and was throwing absolute dimes everywhere all over the field. And Dallas as well. Dallas were expected to operate through Ezekiel Elliott like they always do, but they brought in this new coordinator. And what did they do? They faked run and then passed over and over again, and the Giants could not adjust to it. And I think a lot of teams need to work out very, very soon if they want to have success that... The best thing you can do for your offense is make them good at the things no one expects them to do well. That way, they can come into a game. If their initial plan doesn't work, they can adjust. Apart from these five teams, 
I was really not particularly impressed with any of the offences this week. The Chargers did well considering their O-line's week, but there was a lot of head coaches and offensive coordinators getting a bit too big for their boots, thinking that their system is the system, the holy grail of football offensive coaching and just trying to make things work when they weren't just banging their head against the wall sending their army against the spartans over and over again and it just did not work for many of them i do think some teams will react there was a really interesting quote from cliff kingsbury at the end of his game where he was talking about the the structure of a game as a whole and he said the first three quarters were the worst offense i've ever seen played and it was my fault and that's that is the ideal reaction from your head coach you want your head coach and your offensive guy you want him to turn around and go we didn't do well as an offense and it was because of my scheme and my play calling and I agree it was because of his scheme and his play calling he didn't give his team the best chances and put them in the best situations to make the plays required so if we take one thing away from the NFL this week it is that the defenses have the offenses sort of sussed out already and teams have to make some big adjustments if they want to have more success. Okay, moving on, I want to talk about video games. When we, when I was a kid, when I was young, we got our first Xbox and it had a few games with it, me and my brothers, and we had a game called Dead or Alive 3, and in that game, it was a fighting game like a, like Tekken or Mortal Kombat, and in that game, there was a character called Bayman, I still remember all of this. I haven't had to look this up. I just remember because it was that traumatising. And after maybe two weeks of playing this game, we we all agreed as a three, no more playing as Bayman. No one is allowed to be Bayman. Even though Bayman was in the game, he had the same similar stats to everyone else, but we all agreed, nope, no more Bayman. And that was because Bayman did this move where, and it didn't even require any skill. I think that was the most annoying thing. But he did this move where, You'd press, like, B, and it would kick him up in the air. It would kick your opponent up in the air, and then as he would come back down, you press B again, and it kick him back up in the air again. And you could basically just, if you caught them once with this B move, then you could just kick them up in the air and juggle them like a football until you eventually knock them out and won the fight. And I don't know if it's because we were bad at the game, but we could never work out a way to stop Bayman's kicking up thing, because you'd be up in the air, oh, oh, no, I've been kicked up, oh, I'm in the air again, oh, I'm coming down, oh, I've been kicked up in the air again. It was infuriating. It was the cause of many an argument between me and my brothers. And eventually, for the uh, for the sake of peace, we all agreed, no more Bayman. Watching the NFL this weekend, there was 32 teams on performance. And 31 of them, I think, looked like there was a way of beating them. You could see something, a chink in the armour, a way that if you implemented the right strategy, it would you'd be able to, to have a competition with this team. And then there was the New England Patriots. The Patriots are easily the best run organisation in the league from all the way from the owner down to the special teams coaches and all that stuff. But it's just, they don't, they've signed Antonio Brown. But this week, even without him, they looked almost Super Bowl ready already. And the things we thought we knew about them, we thought they were slow early in the season. And we thought they were going to be a running team when they thought we they weren't going to ask Brady to throw too much. Um, all of that turned out to not be true. So we are now looking at a Patriots team which went from being understaffed in the offense. They'd lost Gronk and Edelman was sort of their best receiver. Well, that's not the case anymore. They've got some, apparently they've got amazing receivers who we all didn't really know about. Their O-line still, they lost their O-line center. That didn't seem to be a problem at all. Not I think they had maybe one or two penalties. Their defense is 
better than the defence that kept the Rams to three points last year. And the special teams have always been and still are brilliantly organised. And I was watching the uh, the Steelers-Patriots games and I was just thinking, it's, it's just not fair. That, I mean, aside from the fact that they're in the easiest division, which they're going to win, so they're going to make the playoffs anyway, they just, every single year, they, they've managed to just completely reinvent themselves and just put forward a, a brand new, completely unexpected output, which no one's ever ready for. And I'm not saying we should ban them from the NFL, but it, I've genuinely, it's hard to watch them this weekend and not think, well, they're, they're, they're going to win the Super Bowl again. Because there wasn't a single team, I thought, this weekend that looked like they could give the Patriots a, a really good game. The Chiefs were amazing offensively, but their defence was average. The Philadelphia Eagles couldn't work anything out until the second half, and then they finally started to sort it out. But again, their defence got no sacks. I know that because I'm a fantasy team. Thanks, guys. The Saints and the Texans, they put out the best game of the week. But again, they were putting up 30, nearly 40 points on each other. So... I mean, obviously, there's, there is change throughout the season and teams will react to them, but it's hard to watch at the moment and identify who is challenging the Patriots because they are just that far ahead. And once they start juggling, juggling a team, I think I watched a drive where they run pretty much the same crossing route with four different players and it worked every single time. And it was, it was like watching Bayman juggle my poor defenceless fighter I was like, I was eight years old again because they were just up in the air, falling down, up in the air, falling down, up in the air, falling down. And I was just watching like this. I don't know what the Steelers are supposed to do. And granted, I think Mike Tomlin had a horrible game head coaching, but it's going to be very, very tricky this year for any team to identify a way to beat this Patriots team. And they won the Super Bowl last year. The, the, the biggest thing going against them at this point is that super, winning the Super Bowl twice in a row is difficult and rarely gets done but I genuinely think unless other teams buck up their ideas and just tighten up in all sorts of ways we are going to see another Patriots Super Bowl very very soon it's unfortunate because I like to see other teams win but you know you just have to you just have to admire their ability to completely reinvent themselves every single season and all those people that said they were going to be worse without Gronk and that Brady was getting too old well those people are very quiet now Okay, now it is time to look at the game of the week for the second week. Second week of fixtures coming up of 17. We've still got so much football to play. I'm so excited. Anyway, the second... Last week I did one fixture. Um, I have to say I was slightly underwhelmed with Atlanta's performance, but it's, you know, it's fine. I think they might they have a chance to bounce back. The two games of... I'm going to pick two this week because I was sat there on Sunday evening and the game's finished at around nine and I was like, you know what, I am not... I'm not satisfied with, I have not watched enough football yet, so I'm going to provide two games so your entire Sunday afternoon and evening can be taken up with football. And my two games this week, well the first one is at 6 o'clock and this is a divisional game. This is the Vikings at the Packers. This will be fascinating because what to look for in this game. The Vikings, as I told you before, managed to assert a very dominant run game this week against the uh, the Atlanta Falcons and it did a lot to negate Kirk Cousins's passing limitations however while they were doing that it sort of it didn't 
come through very obviously that actually their O-line wasn't playing that well. And what happened was Dalvin Cook is such an, an efficient and speedy running back that he can sort of counteract limitations on the offensive line if they're playing a weak enough front. But Atlanta's front was really poor against the Vikings. And now they're coming up against this Packers front that showed itself to be very fast and physical during the week one game against Chicago. So whilst that's going on on the Minnesota offensive side of the ball, the other side of the ball is that the Packers offense and Matt LaFleur are going up against another very strong divisional defense in the Vikings. Um, And what came through against Chicago last week was that Matt LaFleur is still a very young and limited offensive head coach. And I think Actually, he was probably one of the one of the coaches that was guilty of trying to force things that just weren't happening, and it worked enough against Chicago because their defense was keeping them in the game. But Minas, but the Vikings have a more talented roster of offensive players. Their schemes a lot more simple. But if they do manage to start moving the ball on the floor and setting up the pass game, then actually it's going to be on Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers to get their own offense running as well. I do think that. Rodgers was so, if you watch the the game on Thursday night, Rodgers was so happy at the end of that game that I think he's probably going to spend the rest of the season paying back his defence for that performance that they put in. And I think it will start this week because there is some holes in the Vikings' defence that aren't, again, weren't hugely obvious because of Atlanta's poor performance, but they are there. They've got a few problems at corner, for example. And I think this is going to be a very close game where both offences are struggling to make their systems work again against very dominant defenses the question will be can Green Bay's defense keep them in it long enough for Aaron Rodgers to inevitably do something spectacularly Aaron Rodgersy as he tends to do so keep an eye on that game that is six o'clock on Sunday evening it is the Packers versus the Vikings you also have to factor in of course that it's at the Packers which is a a very difficult home ground to play to so I think that's a very good one to watch this week the second one is at 9.25, and this is the Saints versus the Rams. I was among the few people who were under-impressed with the Rams this first week. They played Carolina, who, who via Cam, gave them all sorts of chances to, to score and to get in good position, and they still only managed to be three points ahead before the end of the game. I don't think Sean McVay's doing enough, in the, has done enough in the offseason to set them up for a plan B. Which surprised me because when they got to the Super Bowl last year, a plan B was definitely what they needed when plan A didn't work. There's still a lot of dependency on Todd Gurley. And I think the Saints are a smart enough and well-organized enough team that actually they can expose some of the difficulties that Carolina exposed this week. Christian McCaffrey, the Carolina running back, had an absolute field day against that Rams defense. And Alvin Kamara with Drew Brees have a similar sort of chemistry and a relationship. And there's a lot that the Rams need to sort out and sort out soon otherwise I think they're going to find themselves hosting the Saints and getting a bit of a beating because Jared Goff was limited in trying to make the same scheme work the passing routes looked almost identical and I think the Saints could potentially have the Rams sussed offensively and if that is the case then it's going to come down once again to the Rams defense making a lot of stops and against this Saints offense that we saw in week one which was very explosive against the Texans. That is a big ask for a group that struggled to slow down Carolina at times on the weekend. And with that, it is time for my Acker Stacker. A quick reminder of how this works. I will give you five games and the teams I like to win plus their handicaps in order of 
how sure I am about the bet. So if you put £2 on, I'll then explain as the ACA stacks up how much money you could win back. If you don't like any of the games, then just not, don't include them in the ACA and include the other ones and you'll have a slightly lower return, but still hopefully win you some money. So, ACA stack of this week, game number one is the Saints at the Rams and they've given the Saints plus 2.5. It's one-to-one, one, so a two-pound bet would give you four-pound returns. I think the Saints could win this one outright. As I've said before, I wasn't blown away by how the Rams performed in this first week. And actually, I think the Saints' defence, given how sort of sporadic and wild the Houston offence was, the Saints' defence did very well to slow them down and make a few crucial plays. Jared Goff is a less mobile quarterback than Deshaun Watson, so they don't have to contend with that. They will have to slow the run game down because that was something that Houston managed to put on them pretty significantly. But I think Drew Brees, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara will cause this Rams defence real problems. And I don't think Sean McVay has done enough this offseason to set the Rams up for a very successful season. So that's number one. Rams versus Saints plus 2.5 to the Saints. Next up is the Eagles versus the Falcons. This is minus 1.5. Uh, the odds on this are 10 to 11, which would mean that our, our racker would go up to £7.63. Almost nothing the Falcons did in week one impressed me. They've signed Julio Jones to this brand new contract, which I think was the right thing to do, but their front seven on the defence was very poor against the Vikings' front line that isn't that impressive. And... Their front seven offensively as well left Matt Ryan in all sorts of problems. Matt Ryan himself wasn't that impressive. I think that will move forward. And he did manage to integrate and use his receivers very well. But the Philadelphia Eagles have found a viable deep threat, which means that they now have a very diverse offense. And I don't think the Falcons are going to be able to do enough to stop the run and the pass at the same time, whilst also keeping up with the scoring with this Philadelphia defense, which underperformed in first week. So that's why this isn't my top pick. But I think to win by minus, to win by 1.5, so two points in it, I think it'll be more than that. I think the Eagles will win under a touchdown, but by a decent amount. So that's number two. Number three is the Bears versus the Broncos. This is minus 2.5, 10 to 11 again, which would bring our racker up to £14.57 at this point. Almost nothing the Broncos did in the Monday night game against the Oakland Raiders impressed me. It should have been easily more dominant defensive performance than it was they really let themselves down and then the offense of Flacco looked good in spots but very narrow spots and I think against this Bears defense they are really going to struggle Flacco is not used to that sort of pressure and it's going to come very very quickly the Bears have had problems getting the offense going but I think Matt Nagy is smart enough to find ways around this Broncos defense which wasn't great again the Broncos the Broncos defense will elevate they're at home as well and they play well at home but minus 2.5 against that defence and that offensive mind with Matt Nagy, I, I will take those odds and that will bring the Acker up to £14.57. Game number four is the 49ers at the Bengals. The 49ers are actually plus 1.5 in this game, which might surprise you considering they won and the Bengals lost. But the Bengals played very well against the Seahawks. This game is 10 to 11 again, which would bring the Acker up to 27.83. Again, this is me putting some faith in Garoppolo and Shanahan, which I'm getting less and less confident with doing each week. But they tried to do the right things. They tried to get the offense rolling. They couldn't against Tampa, which is worrying. There was also a lot of disciplinary problems where they had 
two touchdowns called back for holding calls. I think Shanahan will sort those out in the next few weeks. And the San Francisco defence is vastly improved in last season and was making much more plays. The Bengals have lost Joe Mixon. They don't have AJ Green. Their O-line's sort of average at best. And Dalton, passing for the most yards in the NFL, is not something that he'll be able to sustain. He's not that good a quarterback. And they actually, Seattle gave up a lot of points. So I think San Francisco will beat the Bengals outright. But they've got plus 1.5 as a handicap as well. And finally, number five, and this is a tricky one, but it's the Green Bay Packers versus Minnesota. It's one to one, but the Packers are minus three. So they've got to win by more than a field goal. My logic on this one is that actually Minnesota put in this very dominant performance and yet are being given these poor odds because I think the odds providers realised that actually it was Atlanta's poor performance, not necessarily the Vikings' amazing performance. When they play this Green Bay defence, which is much more physical, especially up front, they're going to cause them all sorts of problems. And it's going to be it's going to put the game back on Kirk Cousins' shoulder, which is exactly where Green Bay will want it. And it's essentially going to become Kirk Cousins against the Green Bay defence versus Rodgers against the Vikings' defence. It's going to be close. I think, again, it'll be under a touchdown, but I think Aaron Rodgers... Rewarding his defence for their amazing performance last week will elevate his game. It's at Green Bay, so they've got home field advantage. And I think this will be where he proves that he's going to have an MVP season. It will be similar to the Chicago game in that he won't dominate all game long, but there will be a key drive later on in the game where he will put the team on his back and walk them downfield and score. And I think that will be the difference between the two teams. And I think it will be maybe five or six points. So Green Bay are my final choice. Minus three against the... Minnesota Vikings and that will take our racker up to £55. There were some very interesting games this week that I have not chosen so I'm going to explain to you very quickly the ones I avoided and why I did and the things I try to avoid when I'm picking these ackers. So the Buccaneers are plus six and a half at the Panthers. The reason I won't bet on the Panthers is because I don't know which Cam Newton I'm getting. Am I getting MVP Cam Newton or am I getting Cam Newton from last week who was just throwing it miles over the head of all his receivers, which was a really poor performance. So it was be, it would be one to consider, but it depends on which Panthers you get. You've also got McCaffrey there, who does he go off or does he not? It's sort of what decides the game. Um, the Giants at the are playing the Bills at home. They have a plus two advantage, but I don't want to bet on one running back because if Saquon Barkley goes down or is, is schemed out of the game, then Giants pretty much have no other weapons. I think that'd be an interesting one. The Giants had some real trouble in coverage last week, which will be negated by the fact that Josh Allen isn't as accurate as Dak Prescott is. But again, it's not one I'm confident to bet, given that it all rests on maybe one thing. And the Browns and the Jets is the third one. Again, just don't know what I'm going to get from my quarterback and my offensive room. The Jets defensively were very good last week. Will Freddie Kitchens adapt or will he not? I don't know. It'll be If he does adapt, then Cleveland are in a good situation. If he doesn't, then the Jets will probably win by quite a marginal score. So when there's a lot moving either way, I try to avoid those bets because those are the ones that catch you out with the handicaps. So there you have it. That is my Akastaka explained in a bit more detail as to what I look for and look to avoid. And that will bring about the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Week two will be just exciting, just as exciting as week one. So look for some offences to improve and some teams to start setting out their stalls as Super Bowl contenders early in the season. Thanks very much for listening. See you next week.